2: And you're listening to Mistress Carrie Hi everybody, this is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters And you're listening to the one, the only
0: it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 182 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Lawrence Gowan from Styx, I want to let you know about the stocking stuffer sale happening in the shop at MistressCarrie.com. You can get great deals on t-shirts, guitar picks, coffee mugs, holiday ornaments, mouse pads, stickers, and so much more. What do you get the person that has everything? A little Mistress Carrie under the tree, of course. Just log on to mistresscarrie.com and click shop. My guest this week is Lawrence Gowan, the keyboardist from Styx. He's also a vocalist and a solo artist with his project, Gowan. I caught up with Lawrence while he was out on the road with Sticks in his hotel room getting ready to go vinyl shopping. He and I talked about the band's latest album, Crash of the Crown, and their Las Vegas residency dates in 2024. We bonded over our shared love of purple hair dye and jukeboxes and the Beatles. And we also talked about South Park and Abbey Road Studios what he likes to do when he's in Boston, and, of course, we talked a little hockey. The list of hits from Styx is undeniable, and I was so excited to have Lawrence on the show. Or Larry, or Gowan. Depending on the band he's playing with, that determines the name. But he was an absolute blast, and I 100% owe him the Mistress Carrie tour of Boston. So, allow me to introduce you to Lawrence Gowan from Styx. Recorded
1: Record immediately, immediately.
0: Immediately hit record.
1: Hit I- record, Mr. Carey.
0: Can I call oh, you Larry, Lawrence, Mr. Gowan? What do you prefer?
1: What? So I answered to many names. Um, in sticks, they always call me Lawrence. Um, guys I play hockey with always called me Larry. And my solo career, I'm known as Gowan. So I'm going to give you, it's a multiple choice.
0: Fant- well, you are my purple haired brethren. I will call you that. I that's a very good thing to call me.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's funny you said you, you mentioned that you've been doing this for 30 years. I remember I actually started doing stuff like this to my hair in 1976, if you can believe it, I was 19. And uh it's funny because a few years back I was doing a TV show, just maybe, maybe six or seven years ago. And I had, I can't remember what I had, green and purple uh, at the time. And, you know, you get the, you get some comments on the internet, you know, people have something vital they need to tell you.
0: When are you going to grow up?
1: Yeah, it wasn't that. It was somebody possibly half my age or even less said, what's with the green and purple? Are you you trying to look edgy? And I thought, (laughs) I was doing this when your grandparents were children. (laughs)
0: It's called OG status. <laughs> my hair has been purple since my 18th birthday when because I was threatened by my mother.
1: Oh my God.
0: And so I dyed it on my 18th birthday, and now my own mother wouldn't even recognize without me without it. So
1: yes, that's that's good. I that's very funny you say that because there was a brief period in the early 90s where I stopped doing it. And yeah, my it was my dad actually said what have you done to the color in your hair (laughs) Irish? And I said, well, nothing. He says, well, put it back the way it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Normally the first thing that I ask any artist that comes on the show, because you guys travel so much is where they are. And sometimes they don't even know. Do you know where you are?
1: Well, obviously I'm, I'm trapped in the 1800s here uh, by the look of this. (laughs) I'm in and I'm hoping you can bring me back to the year 2023 we are in Utah today and we're in uh sorry connected through Salt Lake City we're in a place called St. George Utah now I I I know we played here about 20 years ago beautiful venue uh that we're playing tonight and tomorrow night and but I just went out for just before calling you I went out for a quick walk you know I like to walk the town and I just walked through do you know who Brigham Young is? Yeah. He was one, one of the founders of the Mormon uh, church. And, and I'd just seen Book of Mormon.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, no, I re- I saw it right before 2020, I think 2019. And so it. I, I enjoyed it. It was a great tour. And of course, it's an authentic house from 1870s. Pretty amazing to see, you know, box, square, piano, and stuff, stuff I'm interested in because it's always a curiosity. But the whole time in my head, Oh, the South Park songs are like (laughs) blaring away. And I'm like, don't sing that now.
0: Well, South Park uh, has covered you guys too.
1: And very well, I might add. Yes.
0: Is that something that you do every tour stop is that you like to go out and explore the city because musicians are the most well-traveled people I know.
1: Yes, I'm extremely well-traveled. I consider myself well-traveled. And wow, as I'm looking at this bed now behind me, it's, it's very metal looking. (laughs) Um, It looks like a nice hotel.
0: They put you in.
1: It's absolutely beautiful. This was, this was the only shot I could, I could think of because I've got a a light there. So I thought I'd use that great hotel, beautiful, beautiful town. Yeah. Beautiful town. And, uh, I love doing that. So as far as being well-traveled, I usually do a little, you know, Instagram story every day where I walk around and, um, you know, record little little moments, little nuggets, and put those up. <clears throat> and people tend to enjoy them. They, they, it's, it's, it's like getting to travel. You know, we've only played in America this past year, but they, they get a little, uh, just a brief little kind of goofy travelogue as they find various curious things along the way.
0: Is there something you look for in every city? A record store? Do you go to yeah. historic sites?
1: Now that's very, what a great question. There's a, there's a vinyl record right after we get off the phone here or off the, I, I, when we stop our zooming um, I'm going to go up the street there. There's a vinyl record store that looks very cool. Uh, and uh, I think it was called rock records or rock vinyl rock, something rock. And so that that's, they're, they're my kind of peeps. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to go in there, but what I look for, Carrie is, Or should I call you Mistress Carrie? No,
0: Carrie's good. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: What I look for is 78 RPMs because I have a Wurlitzer, 1946 Wurlitzer um, jukebox that only plays 78 RPM records. And the early rock and roll records up until around roughly late 1959, early 1960, were all uh, 78 RPM before the 45 took over. So I've got lots of old, um, the platters and, uh, you know, uh, little Richard and lots of the Elvis stuff. so I look for those, you know, I'm,
0: I have yeah. a jukebox from the sixties that I inherited mm. from my parents and yeah. it's got 45s in it. Yeah. And I need to find someone that can fix it because it needs some maintenance work. And that's hard.
1: So I'm going to send you a website of, of the best expert ever. He's, he's, um, uh, He's in, in Albany New York he 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 restored our um, our Wurlitzer and uh he <clears throat> I should the company's not springing to my to mind um but I will send I'll send it through our I'll, I'll send you the the uh the address through uh after this oh shoot I should know it it's called um vintage, Oh dear! I don't want to get it wrong anyway I'll, I'll let link you know. it
0: in the show notes.
1: Excellent. In yeah. fact, they've been on their, on their Facebook, you sorry, I can't turn off these stupid notifications uh, on their Facebooky thing, they've got, um, they have my actual jukebox on there a- after they'd restored it. I'll, I'll send you a link to that.
0: Yeah. Cause yeah. they're in Albany. That's national. not far from me. It.
1: I just remembered national jukebox. That's what they're called. National jukebox. I should remember that. And, uh, yeah, John Popeye's just the best.
0: Yeah. I definitely want to get it, uh, get it put back the way it should be so that I can use it more often because it's awesome.
1: You know what, Carrie, it is awesome. It's it's astounding because it actually is a physical time machine in that you're listening to those records as they were originally, as people of that era actually heard them. You see what I mean? Like there's something about, you know, the music that's made today, uh, a lot of it, sounds very acceptable and very good on a laptop because it was made on a laptop, you know, and it may have been actually mastered to fit that, um, to to fit that medium. Whereas, you know, songs that were done in the forties, fifties, thirties, forties, fifties, were done for jukeboxes that were on 78 RPM. And then rock records began to, you know, play with the grooves of 45s. And then of course, 33 um, RPM LPs, but yeah, that's you're, you're actually hearing the record in, a, in the most authentic way you can, and really is enjoyable. There's, a, there's a, another level of enjoyment to that, I find.
0: It's like a time capsule of my childhood because it's yeah. got everything from like the Beatles, who are my favorite band, my yeah. mom's favorite band, all the and way up through band. like through like Huey Lewis, which is like when my parents stopped buying the 45s or couldn't right. find them as easily.
1: No, you couldn't. You couldn't, and and so yeah, and, and we're talking on a very auspicious day, actually, because the new, the final ever Beatles song is released today, now and then. So I'm looking forward to hearing that, which I will.
0: Did you watch that short film about the technology to bring the I, music back?
1: I've only watched just what they've put on like Instagram in the last few days. I've been watching that. I haven't gone through that. I know I am going to watch that. Much is the same as when they did "Free as a Bird." Um, way back in the nineties. Oh my God. Uh, I watched it
0: last night. It's, it's unbelievable. It's only like 12 minutes long, but the fact that all four Beatles are represented on this song yeah. that they had yeah. George Harrison guitar tracks from the nineties. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. really
0: remarkable.
1: Oh, it's great. I uh, did. Who produced it? Is it Jeff Lynn again? Or who? who uh, Jeff
0: Lynn and, um uh and is it Jill? Is that how you say Oh, oh,
1: Gilles Martin. Gilles, Gilles Martin. Martin. Yeah,
0: Gilles, Gilles Martin uh, helped with the string orchestration. And, uh, oh, there,
1: well, there, there's, the, there's the ace combo right there. Exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't go to higher authorities on how to make a Beatle record sound like the Beatle record, unless you had all four Beatles, which they do. Yeah. So They,
0: they didn't even look- tell the string section what they were recording for. They told them they were recording just for a McCartney track. Ah. But they had no idea that they were actually recording the last Beatles song. It's crazy.
1: That's that's really remarkable. I I mean, look, everything about that story from beginning to end is remarkable. It, it's in our lifetime or in our era of being on the planet, it's to my mind, it's it's the greatest story that exists. I think I don't think there's a day goes by that I don't in some way even in the most tertiary way, reference that story to some degree. You know, um, it, it's just remarkable. And uh, it just goes to show the intensity of of connection that we have to Beatle music and then all the music that ensued after that and before it, because they really were tremendous um, conduits or, or, the music that passed through them, that preceded them, they always pointed that out, what it was that, you know, uh, uh, Paul had the, the British Music Hall influences in there and things from his dad and the fact that Ringo was such a, an accomplished drummer with other bands prior to, you know, coming into to it and that George was uh, one of the earliest real, real true guitar aficionados who loved, you know, Carl Perkins and people of that era who I got to play with actually one night and and the fact that John Lennon you know taking music from his mom's kind of sense of humor and way way of approaching a banjo all of that just it's 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 a mythical but true story that unfolded you know as I say in, in my own lifetime
0: did and you watch that Rick Rubin thing that Paul McCartney yeah, did? I did that I did. That made me listen to the Beatles totally differently because I had never, I I say that Beatles music is the greatest gift my mother ever gave to me because that's kind of the soundtrack to my childhood. And and to hear Paul McCartney describe how his happy childhood and John Lennon's unhappy childhood and the combination of Mm. either the happy lyrics and the melancholy music or the melancholy lyrics and the happy music, that combination of Lennon and McCartney is what made it work, and it made me listen to every Beatles song differently because of that.
1: Yeah, that's 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 very very true. The um, just just the just the notion that you start to hear the songs differently when you realize so many of them were written from a from a point of view of loss of their two mothers. And probably at a young age, they were probably trying to some degree to brush that off and not let, not let it, it impede their progress. But in fact, it was probably a lot of the inspiration that that drove them ahead. And <clears throat> they had to kind of fill in the, uh, the gloom that that would have brought to their lives. They had to kind of fill in their own version of sunshine to that, and they did it through music. Much the same as, and I used to make this argument way back when I would go to the conservatory, much the same as Beethoven did in his time when he was struggling against a, a physical uh, impairment that would, under natural circumstances, lead someone to want to maybe end it all. Instead, he turned it into something magnificent that we still have to this day, as we will have the Lennon-McCartney songs a couple of hundred years from now, if we're still living here. Perhaps we'll be on Mars, but then I yeah. don't know. Yeah,
0: they'll be floating around in space anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I have a theory about music, that there's the soundtrack to your childhood, the music yeah. you get exposed to unwillingly from parents, older siblings, your cool uncle. And yeah. then there's a moment in time where you discover something and you say, that is what I like. And your musical yeah. identity changes after that. So what was the soundtrack to your childhood? And then what was it that spearheaded your musical identity?
1: Okay. I've told this story before, but I remember see, I was born in Scotland, right? Born in Glasgow. And my and uh, my dad's from Ireland. My, my mom is from uh, Scotland. And I was born in Scotland. And when I was seven years old, uh, in February of 1964, the Beatles were coming on Ed Sullivan, which everyone should know was a the big variety show where you discovered acts from around the world uh, back then um on your black and white television if you were lucky enough to get cbs uh anyway when the beatles were coming on my mom said we we had moved from uh britain about you know years prior 5 or 6 years prior and uh but she would heard from her sister that there's this great act from Liverpool that are really causing a incredible sensation there. And they're called the Beatles. And my mom said, Oh, this act from Liverpool that everyone's talking about are going to be on Ed Sullivan on Sunday night. And I, I'm like, uh-huh. Well, as long as Topo Gigio's is on and you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it, I guess. And I remember this is a distinct memory in my life because I'm seven years old and, when, you know, my, my parents are excited because they're like, it's a British and they're like, okay, so let's see what this act is all about. Right. Apparently they do music.
0: You're sitting and, crisscross applesauce in front of the TV on the floor.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> and I remember it coming on and, you know, black and white television. And I remember, you know, so uh, all my loving was the first song they did. And um, so Paul starts to a you know, Ed, here they are, the Beatles. And and, and and Paul goes, close your eyes, right right into that. and the, the movements and everything. And at seven years old, I remember there were about thirty seconds into the song, maybe just getting coming up to the chorus. and my, my dad, who was very musical, and later on became a gigantic Beatles fan, okay? I wanted to preface with that, okay. Um, my dad, About 30 seconds in, not ever hearing anything like this, he goes, what the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) And I remember in my mind, I didn't even turn my head because I was so locked on it. I went, I don't know what it is, but this is what I want to do. You know, and that was the first time I drew a line in the sand, more or less of, of, of opposition to, to an opinion that was expressed by my dad who, who you know, was, was the, was the, um, the ultimate judge in all things up until that very moment. As I say, later on, he became a huge Beatles. He played Beatles songs on the piano himself and stuff. But um, initially that first moment, you're, you know, you can imagine, this is a generation, our, my parents were generation that were in the second world war. He was in the Navy and for 11 years, etc. And, what they equated as music, and like my mom, I remember her referencing and saying, oh, my God, the audience, are acting they're acting like it's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I remember that, and I'm thinking, who? Right? <laughs> yeah, seven years of age. But she's saying, oh, very much like Frank Sinatra. I'm like, yeah, whoever that is, that's insignificant. Now I'm a huge Sinatra fan, by the way. You just have to live long enough to b- begin to appreciate things, and I've been lucky. So um, anyway, it was that. I think the next bump, I know this is a very long-winded answer, but it's a great question. The next real bump for me, as far as deciding what kind of music I, I was very drawn to, was when progressive rock started. When I heard when I heard Yes, <clears throat> particularly the album Close to the Edge, and then in short order, began listening to Genesis, Emerson, and Palmer, uh, Jethro Tull, um, Bands of that era, early seventies, uh, that c- cemented my you know, Pink Floyd. That cemented my um, my uh, affection for rock music that goes a little bit further than you're expecting it to. And I immediately, and to this day, I tie all those bands again to the Beatles because they're an extension. You can you can pretty much take any band that exists since the Beatles to today, and I find that so many of them are an extension of one or two or three or four Beatles songs taken to <clears throat> to uh, to uh, to another level to or to another place. So for example, I always equate Pink Floyd with, say, A Day in the Life, that sort of strummy kind of dreamy thing that turns into something much, much larger than life that has mm-hmm. depths and layers of meaning that you can apply yourself or or try to find out what 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 exactly they're getting at. Uh you know, I, I'd say <clears throat> with yes, the the vocals, the vocal things, uh primarily, you know, the their their approach to those things and the sharp angle turns the song, song would suddenly take where you're in a different place. Side two of Abbey Road, for example, doing that, I, I saw a lot of that in yes and Genesis music where these sharp angle turns and i know they weren't just all beetle um uh influence i know there was all kinds of other influences but that degree of of elevating a rock song or what's supposed to be a pop thing that's got a transient life elevating it to another level where it takes you on a trip kind of like a great book can do you know or but beyond that because it's tied to melody so
0: it wasn't um, even the musical enough. influence either, because prog rock wouldn't have been possible technically without Abbey Road Studios and the yeah. technology. Colin Blundstone from the Zombies talked about that 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 uh, they would know, yeah that that he wouldn't right. they wouldn't have been able to record the music they made if they hadn't gone into Abbey Road after right. John Lennon told the engineers, "I want an eight track like the Beach Boys had for Pet Sounds."
1: That's right. And they scrambled
0: and gave him a seven track. And he was like, we just got lucky to go in after the Beatles because then we had more tracks to work with. So the music changed.
1: Yeah, exactly. In fact, I I actually there was so much experimenting that went on. At that studio, which is why it should I, I hope it's been deemed a historic site now. I don't know if it is or not. Did
0: you see that documentary that Paul McCartney's daughter made about it? I have not. Oh, it's called If These Walls Could Sing. And it's ah. it's not just about the Beatles. It's about the studio from its inception to now. Right. And it's amazing. So, so good.
1: I've been very, I was extremely fortunate because I got an amazing tour of of Abbey Road. Very quick one night with, I was there with Jerry Murata, the drummer who played on a number of my albums and produced one. And uh, Jerry was the drummer from Peter Gabriel, and and he played on my solo records. And and Jerry was doing some work with Tears for Fears. They were working in Abbey Road. And I got to go in one night when he was working with them. A year later, I'd wind up opening shows for Tears for Fears. But anyway, um, uh, when I was there, Alan Parsons was in Studio B, or Studio 2, the Beatles studio. And we popped our heads in there. And Alan, he was just mixing some stuff. And we said, hey, can we go down on the floor and check it out. Yeah, go ahead. So I went down onto the floor and was able to play through all the instruments that were there. And this is the, this is the lady Madonna piano. And this is the, you know, or so I I've really got an incredibly thorough tour of that studio. And in fact, the next day, I oh, will blow your mind here. The next day I was, cause I was recording at Ringo Starr's home at Tittenhurst Park so I was able to tell him the next day that I I got to go through Abbey Road and see where you recorded all that stuff. And he's like, Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: I told Colin that that I signed the wall out front. And, oh. that, and yeah. that I was one of the idiots that dodged the traffic so that I could get the picture in the crosswalk.
1: Yeah, there's lots of those idiots. And I, I count myself among those idiots. And uh yes, it, it's 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 required. It's it's a pilgrimage. <gasps> There's actually a
0: webcam that you can sign on and watch 24 hours people a day do, yeah. the crosswalk.
1: That makes a lot of sense, and I know I know people there get kind of irritated by it all, but uh, tough.
0: You moved <laughs> there, most likely. It's like in <laughs> Boston, the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, um, that yeah. is the, in the Charlestown Navy Yard, and all around yeah. there now are these super expensive condos, and the people yeah. buy those condos and then complain about the cannon noise that they fire off this old historic warship every day. And it's like tough. You moved there. Yeah. Deal with it.
1: If you live, if you live in St. John's wood in, uh, in, in London, uh, be prepared to stop frequently.
0: Yeah, exactly. You said a couple things about your dad that I wanted to go back to because there seems to be this unbelievable trend for rock stars to come from veteran families.
1: I've noticed that too. Yeah.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: We really wanted to avoid military service. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I could be, I don't know. It's funny because I I look at my life now and I go, you know, I kind of think I would have liked to be in the Navy, but it's nothing like the job I I ended up with. So, um, you know, you never know what's up the road. Um, I, I do notice that. I think, well, first of all, let's let's probably in, in very practical terms, let's just say, since most of the the generation of baby boom musicians, and I'm at the tail end of that, um would have come from families where military background was probably in it because of the Second World War. So there'd be a lot of American, Canadian, um, and obviously British people whose parents would have been that. And quite honestly, I guess the other side too, a lot of Germans, I'll bet I've never looked into it, but I have a feeling that perhaps craft work came from uh, families that were, uh, I, we won't go any deeper into that. Anyway, uh, I just think that there's probably, there's probably a lot to that.
0: Um, I wonder think- if it's a, a work ethic thing. I wonder if it has something to do with the, discipline required to get really good at musical craft like if those lessons were passed down
1: very that's a very astute observation because yes i quite frankly this is probably a similar story I, quite frankly i i i know that basically making it in music let's call it that you know make, make somehow making a living at it etc was there was a military discipline, as you just put it perf- perfectly, um, that went into it. I knew that you have to put the hours in. You can't shirk this off and go and, and dabble in other things because you don't have time for that because the competition is too great for other people that want to do it. So you. And also by a certain age, you know, our parents were very. uh they weren't helicopter parents. I don't mean that, because that that's that's our generation. They were more, they're just strict. Let's get yeah. down to that. They were they were strict in their expectations of you not to screw up. No matter what you did, whether you were going to be go and become a doctor or a or or a rock musician or a hockey player, you know, growing up in Toronto. You you their expectations of you and and their demands on you on you showing the initiative and drive and determination to see it through, I think that comes from that mindset. Now, and I've never thought of it that way until you just pointed that out. Um, I think that's part of it is that 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 was ingrained in us as as was, it's like when I tell younger people today that for example, uh, physical or or corporal or whatever you want to call it, um, discipline was to our parents' generation, was pretty much mandatory. There there weren't any, I don't remember any families around on our street that didn't reprimand their kids and sometimes physically give them a smack.
0: Sometimes people would beat other people's kids.
1: That's absolutely true. I'm glad you said it, not me. Yes. <laughs> someone, someone might come over and grab you by the ear. I do remember that. Um and and yeah, things that I would never dream
0: things that would get you arrested today.
1: Oh, you're arrested. Oh, my God. You know, you would be, you'd be not, you'd be arrested. It's just, that's just the beginning. Yeah. The whole, can, whole cancel thing would then kick in and then you'd be shunned forever. Exactly. Probably burned at the stake. <laughs> I should imagine that's probably coming back pretty soon. And.
0: Uh, well, I'm I, not far from Salem, so.
1: Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. you, you, had, you had a couple nights ago, I guess. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I think that's probably part of the the drive we had we had a strong drive to want to to prove to our parents that it was that it was achievable
0: you said your dad played piano does musical ability well. run in the family
1: yeah he was a, he's irish you know if you ever go to ireland you're going to see musicians playing out on the street who are probably better than pros that you've seen here many times and and so many of them could be professional musicians but they may not be inclined to want to go through the, the the rigors of uh of the music industry um yes he was very very musically gifted he could play anything and uh and my mom was a really good singer and uh so yeah it was it was it was in our background you know that's another british tradition that i know existed everyone had to have a party piece they called it back then they didn't have to do the quotation thing i just did they just had to have a party piece um so everyone had had could perform something to some degree. And I think that was kind of ingrained in us as well.
0: My sister and I did a, we started during COVID, the genealogy thing of trying to find where our family came from. And my, my mom and dad's sides of the family were completely different. And we found out that my great, great grandparents immigrated from Cork. I didn't even know I was Irish.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, the purple hair gives you away. (laughs)
0: Yeah that's the the Irish English side of the family and then my dad's side is where I get my temper and attitude the Sicilian and uh Portuguese Azorian side of the family so I'm quite the American mutt.
1: I'm scared of you.
0: <laughs> you should be. Um <laughs> I I want to talk about Vegas and this residency because yeah you guys have so many dates you've already played and more dates coming in 2024 is, is Vegas a place that you enjoy being because it seems like touring after a while would be difficult, even though you love to travel and the idea of the audience coming to you versus you going into the audience is kind of cool.
1: Is it ever? Yes. It reminds me, you know, as a young musician, when you're growing up, you're you're, you're playing in small clubs to maybe a hundred people or less, or a couple of hundred on a great night, and you're just dreaming of playing to a few thousand people a night. And I love that. And once that's achieved, if you get if you're lucky enough to get to there, you think, well, this is it, right? And then suddenly, this little thing starts to knot you, where you think there's something about playing a smaller venue where there's this concussive, you know, compact feeling of, and rock music is very conducive to that. And um, the theater that we play in the Venetian holds about, I think it's about 2000 people, right? So it doesn't have that, but what it has is the residency, basically going to, coming downstairs from your hotel room and to the stage that night after night reminds me of playing clubs where they'd book us for a week or two weeks and we'd be staying in, in my case, I'd be staying somewhere in up and in Canada and Northern Ontario or Quebec and you'd be staying in these usually pretty, um, horrid rooms, uh, upstairs from the club. But it was fantastic because you, this was like your venue and people would come to it every night. And I feel that when we're in Las Vegas, uh, on a, on an incredibly elevated degree. Um, I, so I really enjoy it. I also enjoy being in the, in the town anyway, because, um, It's exciting, and it's run by rock music. It's, I mean, it's music kind of runs the town, so I'm, I'm drawn to that right off the bat. It's, it's exciting, and it's nothing like when I started in the the '70s, the late '70s. Vegas was considered a place for, um, you know, uh, Rat Pack style acts. Let's let's put it that way. You know, Elvis was the only real rock act that, that would play there consistently. And uh, but from there, I mean, in the 25 years I've been in Sticks, it has been an absolute rock mecca. It really is. It, you walk up and down that strip and you can see everything and uh, every band in the world plays there. And then once you've done that, you can go and see love.
0: Oh, which is so good. So good. When it comes to Vegas, are you a gambling guy? What's your game? Oh.
1: No, we have we have gambling guys uh, in our in our circle, um, but no, I'm not. I I consider it that my my payoff has, has already come because I got to do what I wanted to do all my life. So I don't want to push my luck any further and have the gods say, you know, I think you've had enough. Yeah. Okay. Back off. <laughs> no, I'm not. But you know, it's uh it's something I like to observe. I love when 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 guys with us when they win big and come in bragging about how much they made, I'm always really happy for them. I I just, I love the atmosphere though. I love the freedom of the whole, the whole
0: atmosphere. I always ask songwriters on the show this question. It's not a favorite song question. It's definitely about the craft of songwriting because I'm so envious of it. I can't do it. I've tried, failed miserably. Mm-hmm. is there a song from any artist any genre of music that's inconsequential that you think is a perfect example of the craft of songwriting like a song that's so well written you wish you wrote it oh yeah
1: oh i, have a, I can give you thousands of those uh yes i mean look stick songs are incredibly well written the songs that were written before i joined the band i now you know being inside them and learning them and, and playing them night after night I realize why they're so effective with people. The songs that we've written in our most recent records, and I should mention that, I mean, Crash of the Crown, our most recent album, and it got to number one on the Billboard rock album chart. Um, that album, the songwriting on that between uh, between us, is really rewarding when we come up with something that's a group effort that, uh, that, that somehow gels together into a statement there's something, it's very difficult. I'm going to tell you, it's not that you can't write a song. It's just, you haven't pushed long enough and hard enough to have finally eek something out that you go, Oh, that's not terrible. And then the next day you listen to it and go, that's a lot less than terrible. I think that's actually good enough that I might play it for someone. Um, I think everyone has that ability to some degree. It's like writing a story, but it, but it's, it can be painful to get there. Um off the top of my head, I can think of songs that Freddie Mercury wrote, for example. You know, I would say the well, there's the obvious, um, but I'd I'd quickly follow, say, Somebody to love. There's one that I I, I would love to have written. Um The Rolling Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. There's another one. Uh with That's Genesis. my
0: favorite stone song.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> with Genesis, I would say. Something like Firth of Fifth is one of my absolute favorite pieces of music. I don't know if you know them as as well. Uh, I can keep going. I mean, even in just Radiohead songs, you know, and, um, Paranoid Android, I would love to have written that. These are incredibly well-written songs. Or um, uh, Creep is another incredibly well-written song. Uh, Elton John, Funeral for, for, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. Would love to have written that. These are these are so meticulously well-crafted songs that you you, you you just you stand in awe of them and if you can come up with something that you really just want to have, come up with something that connects to people on, on that kind of a level that that, that um, just gives them a, a lift or somehow connects to their life in a way that's that's uh, that's meaningful
0: the Elton John, Bernie Toppin songwriting team. The yeah. concept of that comes up a lot on the show with songwriters because it's so weird. I've never heard of anybody else that writes songs the way that they do. And now Bernie no. getting inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame on his own accord is pretty awesome.
1: Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, those, those are lyrics that we can quote almost daily. They're, they're fantastic lyrics that that, that, that he is the other half of that coin. And Elton John's always said that, um, or, or, words to that effect, I guess. But, um, uh, you know, the, as you, as we're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, I'll give you another example, life on Mars, David Bowie, that, that is such a well-crafted piece of music, uh, to my mind. Um, I can keep going. I, well, you, know, you talk I, about
0: life on Mars. There are recent,
1: recent things as well. I would say some uh, somewhere only we know by Keane. I don't want to you know take those ones out. There's a couple of songs by Royal Blood I wish I'd written. There's one I just heard by Tame Impala that I think was
0: tremendous. Anyway, yeah. You uh, you bring up Bowie and Radiohead and obviously Crash of the Crown. Were you always fascinated by space as a kid?
1: Yeah, very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, yeah, I I remember the moon landing. <laughs> I remember I remember John Glenn, you know, orbiting the Earth. My mom was always very uh, watchful of that. You know, she was very uh, <clears throat> on top of it and kind of would bring up every space mission. You know, and now, as uh, again, part of the reason I I don't gamble and push my luck is I've had phenomenal tours of NASA over the years. You know, I, uh, I, I got a couple of very good friends there that have given me inside tours where I've, I've gotten to touch and do things that most people don't get a chance to ever do. Um, all short of actually going into space. Myself. Would you, would you do I'm it? Of, I'm enough of a space cadet, What
0: would you do it if you got the opportunity to go into space? Cause they're, I mean, they're sending people up there now.
1: I, I probably wouldn't say no.
0: <laughs> Just a matter of who pays for it, right? uh yeah exactly. yeah
1: <laughs> if Elon if Elon wants to put me on one of his uh, one of those things once he's tested it out several times, yeah
0: right. yeah. I know that you grew up in the Toronto area and you are a hockey player yourself being here in Boston, but- I gotta, I gotta talk to you about hockey and talk about this season, and let me know how you're feeling.
1: Let me, well, okay, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. I want to now, now that you bring that up, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Someone recently sent me a picture of my from my hockey playing days that I I was really happy to see again. I I don't play now anymore. I I um, you know, I've I've had a couple of knee surgeries. I don't want to push my I don't want to push my luck. <laughs>
0: I'd be afraid to hurt a finger for you.
1: Yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. I can't I can't go to the guys in sticks and say, "Hey, I, I'm going to have to miss the next week because I, I got body checked a little too hard by a guy, and uh, so I I can't really get away with that anymore." Yeah, I I used to play two three times a week. uh, Pretty much up until I joined sticks, I played a few times after I joined the band. But as far as hockey goes, I. First of all, there's one I'm gonna one thing I'm gonna kind of um champion before we talk about any NHL things, and that is the World Junior Tournament. I don't know if you see that enough of that in the United States. That's that's to me is maybe the greatest hockey every single year. It happens between Christmas and New Year, and it is phenomenal hockey. You're basically seeing the greatest in the world at from 16 to 19 years of age play for their countries and play with the most, to my Observation: The purest of intent, if you know what I mean. They're they're not paid athletes yet. They are, they are still just they're at the peak of their abilities, in love with that that game, and uh, I, I kind of love that. Next to that, the NHL the NHL playoffs are always a phenomenal thing. I'm going to assume that you're a Boston Bruins fan. Of
0: course. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> so. um when you grow up, yeah, you I, you, you are, grow I, up no, a fan no. of what you love, what's around you. It's not my fault. To, I would need
1: to explain yourself, <laughs> Mistress Carrie. It's okay.
0: The big Bad so, Bruins, baby, come on.
1: I understand it perfectly. In <laughs> fact, our our production manager Brian Wong is from Boston, and he's a gigantic Bruins fan. And on my in my ward, I wish I could show you this in my wardrobe case he's he, he plasters this picture that i can't take off cuz he keeps putting it back up and it's a guy in a bruin shirt going like I think, I think the expression is is a, to all you non bruin fans out there yeah and he's like this. double so, birds uh,
0: baby double birds my uh, double birds
1: i not only well i'll try to ingratiate myself a tiny bit to to your to your ilk
0: to your ilk
1: bostonians i'll
0: just put it out there we're very aware that we're a bit much
1: oh no you're not you're you're the fantastic fans to play for it in a concert i love going to boston i love walking around beacon hill i love walking around in boston like it's one of the greatest walking cities in the in the world and and i've been down to the well i guess it's now called the td center i guess yeah the the td uh, garden yeah td garden where the the next to where the Boston Garden used to be and near the, the statue of Bobby Orr doing the dive, um, the mid-air dive. And I have um even prior to them putting that up there, I would go to... <laughs> when I first joined Sticks, but prior to them putting that statue there, I can't remember what year that was, but I I made a video of myself doing the 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 flying through the air thing by lying on the hood of a car that was parked next to it. <laughs> Just, just so you so so yeah, I I have the disease in me quite badly. I've I not only have I met Bobby Orr, but I I used to do his um he did a a, a charity skate in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto every year and I would participate in that, and um, I've actually did a show once where he was on the bill. There was a thing uh, in Ottawa, Canada, where we were both on the bill for this television show. That was phenomenal. Uh, I I. The the, the the issue for me is that, yeah, I grew up in Toronto and uh, I'm a Leaf fan. And um, the Boston Toronto rivalry has been such a great thing to witness over the I years. Why I asked
0: you the question.
1: Yeah. But the Boston Montreal rivalry was also very, very top notch as well. But I, more and more, as I get older, I honestly have more of a, although I'm, a, I'm, Technically, a leaf fan. I'm more a fan of the game. I mean, you know, and since the Leafs tend to get knocked out of the playoffs fairly early, <laughs> maybe not this year. um I I tend to kind of champion another team, you know. So, you know, who knows? One day that may be the Bruins. Who knows? And and you do have a very cool sweater or jersey, as you call it in the United States. So there's that. Uh, We're looking
0: pretty good this year. I'm hoping. Last year's failure, that one left a scar, but we're hoping this year is going to be better.
1: Well, no one expected Florida to do what they did.
0: Especially after the regular season record of the Bruins. It was like, what? It seemed, I felt
1: very bad for Bergeron leaving the ice, I have to say, because such a great player. I, I I did feel bad for him, but this is the thing about the Stanley Cup playoffs and why I love it so much is nothing is a done deal. There are so many factors. That's why they call it the hardest trophy in in sports to win. I mean, how the hell you equate that? I don't know. But let's just say it is. Um, it's the best trophy to win, no question. Champagne <laughs>
0: tastes really good out of the Stanley Cup. It does. Yeah.
1: It does, and I it does, and I've done it. Me too. Yeah, you. But you probably did it because you won. I did it because I got into the Hockey Hall of Fame and had a friend there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, the <laughs> next time that sticks is in Boston, yeah. I will take you on the Mistress Carrie tour of Boston. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, we'll walk around during the day. My brain is filled with weird Boston trivia that I would be oh so oh. happy to share with you.
1: I've done the Duck Tours. Which is um, great. The, the, the Freedom the Trail Car- you can do. Mistress Carrie tour sounds great. I, I do love uh, Boston Common. is one of my favorite spots. And, and, and the park across the street, the name of which I forget all the time, but anyway. Yeah.
0: Oh, the the gardens and the, and the yeah, common. Yeah. yeah. The public gardens and the Boston common. Yeah.
1: Oh, the public gardens. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. And Boston common. is also great. You meet all kinds of interesting people there for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, it was so nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck with your vinyl hunting today.
1: Thank you very much. I, um, Yes, I'm, I, and come and see Sticks because you will not be disappointed in the epic rock show that this band puts on night after night after night. You yeah. will not be
0: disappointed. It's a it's something that needs to be experienced live. You can listen to Sticks records with headphones and it sounds amazing, but hearing the harmonies and all of that on stage, like you, if you've never seen Sticks live, like you, you, you have to see you guys live at least once in your life.
1: Without hesitation, I tell I tell people if you do come to the show, you're going to love it. I before I even joined the band because I did a couple of shows with them. I thought they were absolutely great. So um, they, they, there's nothing like a great live rock show for to me. That's the highest form of entertainment, even above a great hockey game, quite honestly. And uh, it it just stays with you, you know. So a great stick show should be in your future. All you Zoom watchers. <laughs>
0: Well, it's also one of those things where you go to the show thinking, you know, some of the songs and then you realize, Oh my God, I love this song too. Oh my God. I love this song. Yeah.
1: That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. And yeah, it's, it's, it's always a great adventure. I just went and saw Peter Gabriel Ugh. last and he played half the show was maybe more than half was all new things and just fantastic. Just as great as when I saw him, 40 plus years ago for the first time. And, and yeah, there's nothing like it. it just people ask me, condition.
0: like, what's the best concert I've ever been to? And I what's always next, say, Next
1: to Sticks, Next to Sticks, next yeah. to
0: sticks is yeah. Woodstock 94. And Peter Ooh. Gabriel closed it out. Did he? And it was, Yusu Endure came out. Like, yep. it finally stopped raining. There's a half a million people. and And Peter Gabriel just. Yeah, it was magic.
1: Well, on on all my solo records a great guy from the Boston area, Tony Levin, is on is on the Gowan solo records and I still see him occasionally and uh he's been with P- Peter Gabriel ever since 1976. So Boston does have a, a a great tie to the to the Gabriel legacy as well.
0: They talk about amazing songwriting too. Like there's another example of
1: top top of the mark. I mean, yeah. well there I mean Sure, I mean, you, you talk about great songwriting. I would say um, "Family Snapshot" would be right in there, and Salisbury Hill, of course. I mean, a yeah. big obvious one, but there, there's just two, you know, phenomenally well-written songs that that he's done. You know, uh, "In Your Eyes," oh, just it was great.
0: Oh, there isn't a girl yeah. in the world that doesn't love that song. Oh, to oh, have a song I'm, like that written about you.
1: I'm one of those girls. <laughs> Did I just get canceled? No. Oh, damn. <laughs> no.
0: Thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you today. I really appreciate your time.
1: All right, Mistress Carrie.
0: Go Bruins!
1: <laughs> yeah, go.
0: <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Cheers. There he is, the one and only Lawrence Gowan from Styx. Their album, Crash of the Crown, is available everywhere. And the band is hitting the road again, in 2024 including their residency in las vegas at the venetian theater if you want more details on stakes or lawrence you can find all of the band's links and lawrence's social links in the show notes of this podcast that's also where you'll find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist i make a playlist for every full-length episode of the mistress carrie podcast that features all of my guest music and all the artists and songs that we talked about in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday, you get the sit rep. All of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment updates boil down to about five minutes. And you never know when we're gonna release a bonus episode. You can find me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page, from my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And I'm always on the radio on the Mistress Carrie Show. Get the details on all that and more, including the stocking stuffer sale, online at mistresscarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.